Glad to see everyone here tonight. Your smiling faces. It's good because we're going to be talking about goodness tonight. And smiling faces goes along with goodness. Um, all right. We are and have been in uh, Galatians chapter 5, going through um, a study in the fruit of the Spirit. So if you have a Bible, or uh, open that up, Galatians 5. If you don't, there's one in front of you there in the pew rack. Uh, feel free to use that. Take it home with you if you need to, if you don't have one. Um, we will, I'm going to read the first couple of verses or that specifically deal with the topic of the fruit of the Spirit, and, um, and we will get into our study. So Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23 are the focus verses dealing with the fruit of the Spirit. And so I will read those real quick here. Um, starting in verse 22 of Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And in our study into the fruit of the Spirit, we've already looked at the first five of the nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. We've looked at love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness last week. And as we get into the fruit of goodness tonight, you might be thinking that some of these almost sound like the same thing. Um, and in certain ways, like I said before, these are very much related to one another. Some even flowing from others or are or, or coming along because of others. Um, which is what we'll see in the case of tonight, of this word, goodness. Um, they are not really the same thing, though. Um, Paul used different words that have different meanings. So they have been translated into English to convey the meanings of the words Paul used in the Greek language. So that is why we are taking them individually. We're going through all of these individually and trying to understand the meaning in order to examine our own lives, uh, to not only examine our own lives, but to take the Word of God and apply it, um, and apply these godly characteristics to our own lives through the work of the Spirit of God as Christians. So let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get started tonight. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this evening. We thank you for your Word, for the guidance and instruction that we get from it, for the clarity the understanding that we get through the work of your Spirit in our hearts, Lord. Opening up your word to us, giving us the understanding we need. Strengthening us for living this Christian life. Thank you, Father, that you are the provider of all of our needs. Lord, you sustain us all the time. We need you desperately, Lord, and you have not left us alone. We thank you for that. Help us tonight, Lord, as we look again at the fruit of the Spirit, as we discuss goodness, that you would bring understanding to us, Lord, that we would examine our lives and, and take stock of, of how we live our daily lives as Christians, Lord. And may it be pleasing to you and bring glory and honor to you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I wanted to ask if you've been here for all of these studies, or at least a few of them, have they been beneficial to you in any way? Over the past several weeks, 
have any of you found yourselves responding uh, to situations or people and then had the fruit of the Spirit pop into your head to convict you of a wrong response? Has that happened to anybody? Yeah, it's happened to me. Uh, and I, several times, in fact. It's hard to be studying the Bible and, and asking God to help you understand it and apply it to your life and then not have things happen to give you opportunities to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. God provides those things for us. And you and I need to be open to changing our behavior as the Spirit works in us, as, as the Spirit of God shows us errors in our life, in our behavior and conduct, in our thinking. We need to be willing to be changed by it. We shouldn't fight against it. Let it transform us. Let the Word of God transform us. And most often, these opportunities present themselves through trials, including short-term trials. Now, sometimes we think a trial is something that lasts for weeks or months or years, and that is true, but it can also be, a trial can also be in one interaction with another person. In a brief moment, you could find yourself in a place where you are uh, being tested um, in your response to a person or a circumstance. Um, and so what I'm talking about is actually thinking about what's happening and asking yourself what the proper godly response to that person or to that situation should be. We don't like doing that, though, because it hinders our desired rapid self-centered response, uh, the sinful response that gives us some wrong sense of justice or revenge. Isn't that, those are powerful desires. Those, those come quickly to our mind as we, as someone does something to us, when we're faced with a person or a circumstance that personally assaults us in some way. So let's be reminded then what that sinful response is, according to biblical truth, um, this is where we can read Scripture again and again and say to ourselves, yes, that describes me when I'm not walking in the Spirit. That what I'm doing or saying in response to this person or circumstance is not right. I want to do X, but I know the Spirit of God is convicting me uh, with the knowledge that I should do Y. I'm now experiencing inner turmoil, and the answer is to read and apply Scripture to understand why. Um, what is going on in this turmoil? Why, why is it there? Why can't you, Christian, just do the thing you want to do without your conscience screaming at you? Because the Spirit of God won't let you. Okay? He won't let you do the things that your flesh wants to do without smacking you every time you do. And we should notice, it's not just that he won't let me actually do or actually say the thing uh, free of conviction. What else will the Spirit of God not let Rome free in us without convicting us as his children? We've talked about these, maybe my physical response to someone, whether it be words or deeds what else will the Spirit of God not let roam free in us without convicting us as his children? If you are a Christian, sin, okay, yeah, it's kind of in a broad sense, okay, 
I'm looking for something different. Those are true. Those are the physical things. Those are the outworkings. The thing I'm thinking about is that he won't even let us think it without conviction. Okay, how many times is our conscience jabbing at us before we have even responded? Our conscience is, is after us because of our thought process. Right? Why and how can and does God do this? It's amazing. This is actually an amazing example of God's ability as the sovereign God of the universe to work in your life. He created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows you, and nothing about you is hidden from him. And I'm not just making that up. We can see that in the scripture, and we should understand that because this goes to what we're talking about. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm uh, 139. Psalm 139, I want to read verses 1 through 7. And listen as we read this to hear about God, who God is and what God does, what God knows. Okay, this should be very informative for us. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 7. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, where shall I flee from your presence? Those are rhetorical questions. Nowhere. You cannot escape from the sight of God, from the knowledge of God. This is David writing about the sovereignty of God, and in that is this description of the omniscience of God, that God knows everything. He's all-knowing, um, including knowing what we're thinking about saying before we say it. In, in verse 4, in that passage, it says, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. That is so hard for us to fathom because we don't have that ability. ability. We cannot know what someone else is thinking. We could go even further and realize that God knowing everything means he knew we were going to think it before we thought it. Not just that he knows a word we were going to say before we said it. He knew that we would think about saying that word before we even thought it. This just kind of blows your mind. But this is who God is. He knows everything. If he knows everything, he's not limited in anything. And I also want you to notice in, in that passage how David described God's actions, how he describes what God is really doing with his omniscience and sovereignty. He said in verse 5, You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. What do you think that verse is saying? What does that, what does that mean? 
Give me boundaries, okay? Sure, what else? Is that one? Protection, absolutely. Well, this is talking about this is talking about what God does for us. Okay? You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. It's describing these things that, that were mentioned. Uh, he's, he's keeping us from doing what we should not do. Goes to protecting, setting boundaries. Okay? He's protecting us from our own sinful actions or words by the power of his mighty, sovereign, and loving hand. His hand is laid upon us. He's caring for us as his children. Yes. Absolutely, he gives us discernment and wisdom, and he does so when we read and understand his word. Right? Absolutely. These are all ways, and there are others, that he hems us in. Um, it, it, is, it has that idea of him caring for us, protecting us, right? Uh, before and behind, and, his, and, and he lays his hand upon us. So what is this? What does this have to do with the fruit of the Spirit? Um, why did I spend time on that? It's the same thing we see in our Galatians passage. Paul's describing God doing the same thing through his Spirit in Galatians 5. It, back earlier in Galatians 5, if you still have your finger in that, in that passage there, in verse 17 of chapter 5, this is, we see this same picture. We see this same thing going on. It says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's, that's all this is. God is hemming you in. He's hemming me in. Okay, I'm desiring to do or say something that is against the Spirit of God, and because I'm his redeemed child, and he loves me, and that thing is opposed to his character and will, he's making sure that mine and yours, if you're a Christian, making sure that our mind and heart are aware the sinful thought or action is, is front and center in our mind, as, as opposed to his spirit. He's making sure we understand that, that it's opposed to his spirit. This is how he's, he's hemming us in. He's producing this knowledge in us to keep us from responding wrongly. Okay, he's putting, putting it there so I can no longer, like I did before he converted me, right, I can no longer respond in a wicked way without my conscience pounding away at me. Now, does this mean that you become a Christian and you never sin again, you never do anything wrong again? No. But God doesn't permit that without at some point convicting us of that sin. He hates sin. And as his children with a new heart, we are to hate sin as well. And, his, and our conscience will, will eat away at us when we're when we sinning. And he does that on purpose. Um, absolutely. Right? Yeah. I, I, X and Y are opposed to one another. X being the flesh and Y being the spirit. Uh, to keep me from doing what I want to do until I learn to respond how the Lord wants me to respond, right? Until I respond as Christ would respond. That's the whole point um, of becoming more Christ-like. Those we continue to read and reread 
these scriptures in Galatians 5, we shouldn't get tired of them. Maybe you've already even thought, we read this passage every week already. Well, it's good. we need it. We need to hear it over and over again. You have not arrived. I'm telling you right now, you have not arrived at Christ-likeness. I have not arrived at Christ-likeness. This is the place that we're in. You haven't mastered this, and neither have I. We should remain humble before the Word of God. Verse 26, moving on in that passage in Galatians 5, verse 26 says, let us not become conceited. And we should instead let the work of the Spirit through the trials that the Lord brings into our lives um, have the results that the Spirit desires. And what is that? What is the will of God? Our sanctification. Right? He is sanctifying us, setting us apart, making us holy. So the Holy Spirit produced Holy Spirit produced fruit we're looking at tonight then is goodness. Okay? Another aspect of the fruit of the Spirit used to keep us from doing what we want to do, which is to sin in the flesh, so God is producing in us goodness. He's producing in his children, Christians, goodness. Um, Agathusene, I think I'm pronouncing it right, is the Greek word Paul used in, in verse 22 of Galatians 5 that has been translated as goodness. It is, it's understood that the word is only found in biblical and church writings. It's not in, a, in secular Greek writings. This is a biblical concept. Um, and what I've found in looking into the meaning of this word is a pretty consistent point that, that it, quote, finds its fullest and highest expression in that which is willingly and sacrificially done for others. It is moral and spiritual excellence manifested in active kindness. This, this definition of goodness, the, the word that Paul used, and we've translated to goodness, this is the meaning that it carries, that it finds its fullest and highest expression in that which is willingly and sacrificially done for others. It is moral and spiritual excellence manifested in active kindness. And notice, that fits with what we said last week regarding the three middle aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, um, having to do with being directed towards others. You remember we mentioned that last week. Uh, this is an inward morality of character produced by the Spirit of God in the lives of Christians. Not only for the, for the Christian themselves, but to benefit others in what it produces. Okay, this, is, this is where goodness intersects with kindness. Remember I said they're, they're not the same, but they're related. This is where they intersect. Okay, even in that definition that I read above, we, we see this word is describing the inner spiritual excellence that in turn produces or manifests in active kindness. Okay, not passive, but active kindness towards others. And this is where we can see the difference between kindness and goodness, as used in verse 22 of Galatians 5. Goodness is an inner quality, a foundational character trait that when uh, confronted with the opportunity for immorality, results instead in doing the righteous thing. Okay, particularly when it comes to benefiting other people. 
As another commentator explained, this word that Paul used describes a positive moral quality characterized especially by interest in the welfare of others. This is goodness. It's from the heart. It's, it is kind, and it takes care to make sure others get, get or find or have what is useful or beneficial in their life. Okay? In the more, I would say, most important spiritual sense, it obtains what is useful or beneficial for a person's soul. That's, the, that's what goodness is after. That's what, this, what is being produced in us by the Spirit is after. And, of course, this is not only about other people. For you and me to have this goodness produced in us by the Spirit of God is necessary for our own walk with Christ. Very important part of our life. I wanted to ask a question. What, what are some examples of how this goodness that we talked about, moral excellence or a, a focus on benefiting others with what they need, what are some examples of how this goodness would show up in our everyday lives? How would it be applied in situations and circumstances in your life? Where do you think this goodness should or does show up? Okay, service to others? Sure. How about some specifics? Yeah. Yeah, so um, so it, when we talk about this goodness, this is sort of the foundational fruit that God is producing in us, and it is that that, that kindness flows out of. So the, the kindness is the activity that comes from the goodness that God has created in us. It's the doing. It's the working out of it. No, goodness isn't the feeling. Goodness is the, the foundational characteristic. And remember, these are the fruit of the Spirit. These are God's characteristics that he is producing in us, right? So perfect goodness belongs to God. He's producing in us that which is in him. So it's a foundational thing, and this, this goodness in thought towards others and in, in moral excellence um, is where kindness comes from. It's what produces that. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, kindness is the, is the activity produced by by the outflowing of the goodness that God is creating in us. But still, God is creating both of them. Okay? It, it, yeah, it depends, on how you're, it depends on how you're using them. Yeah. In this, in this context, it's, uh, it's a noun. Um, so, but depending on the, the form of the word you're using. Um, other examples of how this goodness shows up or where it should show up. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's important. I think later on in the, in the lesson, I think that will come into play in a major way. I think you'll see it when we get there. Um, sure, yeah. And if we think of it in practical terms, I mean, if perhaps you're somebody who, prior to your salvation, was involved in thievery, you know, there was a temptation to steal things, 
well, this goodness is produced or is, is evident in that as a Christian now, maybe that thought pops into your head, but there's the conviction of the Holy Spirit that is morally wrong to do that, that is sinful to do that. And so it pops up in that, that you're, you have a new foundation. You have a new uh, system of thought and morality as a Christian that you didn't have before. You didn't care before, but now you do. Um, and so we can see it in there in that decision to not steal, that goodness that comes out. So then there's a resistance to sinning sexually or, or, and not bowing to those temptations, okay? responding um, to those who wrongfully oppose us in kindness. Okay? So because of this goodness being produced in me, when someone persecutes me or something like that, I'm going to instead respond in kindness, both produced by God, but kindness flows out from that foundational goodness. Um, and so this is where we can see these popping up in our lives. And of course, there's many other situations we could talk about. But the idea is that unlike before we were Christians, now we hate sin. We don't want to sin. Uh, the, the reputation of the Christian is that he or she is trustworthy, or it should be, right? known for their unquestioning integrity and honesty. This is all part of goodness. When false accusations are made about this person, those hearing it don't believe it for a moment because of the visible outworking of the fruit of the Spirit in their life. They don't believe those false accusations because that's never been their experience with that person because of the goodness that's produced in them by the Spirit of God. And, it's, and it flows out. So in our minds... Two, this, it shouldn't look to us like the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder, like we saw in the cartoons when we were kids. It's not just about weighing the pros and cons of sin and choosing to not sin. This goodness is increasingly part of our new nature as Christians. We're growing in this. It's increasing in our lives more and more. Uh, becoming our first response. Whereas before we were Christians, goodness wasn't our first response. Right? But more and more, when presented with the opportunities, where perhaps in the past we would have responded one way, now God is producing us a first response of goodness. Okay? If, if we sin in this area, it's no longer the norm. But if at all, it's just an occasional failure. And, and that's not to make light of sin. I don't say that to make light of sin. It's not a license or permission to sin or saying it's okay, but I think you get the point, right? Um, our new response, our new normal response should be goodness. Um, so our, our character in this process, our character looks more and more like Christ to where the morally good response in word or deed is automatically the righteous response. Again, we are. this is not going to be done in perfection by us here on this earth in this life, but if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you should see the fruit of this in your life. You should see that you sin less than you did when you first got saved, that you hate sin more than you did when you first got saved. What was that? 
You're talking about the word for goodness? Yeah, you're going to make me try to say it again? Agathusene, okay? <laughs> you want me to spell it? Okay. Let me get back there. I, I, don't, I don't know how to spell it by heart. Yeah, exactly. There it is. A-G-A-T-H-O-S-U-N-E. Again, that's the English spelling, so you go to find it in a... Sorry. A-G-A-T-H-O-S-U-N-E. And it won't look like that in the Greek. And when you're looking at the Greek, it doesn't pronounce like you think it does. It would be Greek to you. What's that? Well, it, goodness is what it's translated as, goodness. And it, the, I'll go back to the definition that I gave, which um, is pretty across the board from everything I've seen uh, as I looked at this, that with some variations, this is pretty much the description of the meaning of this word, that it finds its fullest and highest expression in that which is willingly and sacrificially done for others. It is moral and spiritual excellence manifested in active kindness. So again, there are other definitions that people have given, but they are very sim- they're all very similar as to the meaning of that word. Um, where was I? Now that you made me try to pronounce that again. Uh, so again, our... As God is producing this fruit in us, our character looks more and more like Christ. Again, to where, um, I already said this, that the morally good response in word or deed is automatically the righteous response. So maybe that's where you, that question came up. Um, um, you have to make sure, depending on where you're, there are other words in Scripture translated goodness, that are used from a different Greek word, so you have to be careful that you're looking at the same thing. But, but yeah, so there are different variations. But the general gist of it is what I was talking about. Um, and so, whereas before, as an unbeliever, our response to a situation or to a person who is assaulting us would not be the righteous response, which would be patience, kindness, you know, gentleness, all these things we're, we've been looking at, my initial response would have been something else. Revenge, anger, those kinds of things. But God is producing something different in us at this point. Yes? No. Uh, it's a good question. I think that came up last week, too, afterwards. We were kind of discussing that with a couple of people. Um, but yeah, none of this precludes a person from protecting their life if someone's trying to kill you or uh, attacking a family member, you know, protecting your family member or loved one. This is not, that's not what this is talking about. Um, this doesn't you know, give license for us to just, or for someone to just attack us and kill us, and we have no ability to defend ourselves. 
you don't understand why a Christian would do something purposely sinful? Yeah, well, sin, right? Because we, we still struggle with the flesh. And that's why we have these passages of Scripture to remind us to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean you're sinless. You, you should sin less than you did before, right? But our sins are forgiven in Christ. Yeah, well, you know, as Christians, right, which is good. That's a right attitude, right? We don't want to purposely go out and sin, um, but we are faced sometimes with temptation, and sometimes we fall to that temptation. The Christian response to that, when convicted by the Holy Spirit, because he will convict you of that sin, the Christian response is repentance, turning back to God and saying, Lord, help me. I don't want to do that anymore. And you're trying to kill sin in your life. You want to get rid of that. So you're thinking right in that you don't want to do that, but the reality is none of us here can escape from sinning still. Again, we should progressively be sinning less because God is sanctifying us. Um, but if we get to the point where we say, I'm not saying this is you, but if we get to the point where we're saying we don't sin anymore, then we have a big problem because Scripture tells us that's a lie. We're lying if we, if we say that. Um, and so, yeah, and we do have to be careful about, and I think you said this, we don't want to call sin mistakes, right? A mistake is I said 2 plus 2 is 5. You know, I, I thought it wrong. That was a mistake. Sin is different, right? Sin is, even if we... There are times when we unintentionally sin, but you know we know that's what it is. We know that it's sin, but there are other times when we do we sin intentionally, knowing it's wrong, and we do it anyway. And and everybody's at a different place. Some people are farther along in their faith than others, and um, and they don't struggle as much with that maybe as someone else. Uh, but sure, yeah. I mean that's a good question. I, to say I don't understand why somebody would want to do something sinful. <laughs> well, me either. But the reality is sin. Sin is still there, and that's, that's why. Well, there are sometimes where, and this is why it's, well, this is why it's dangerous for us to say, I don't sin, because we don't even know all the ways that we sin. In, in, in a word, an unkind word we say to somebody, and we don't even mean it in an unkind way, but we've, we've hurt them. And, and we don't even know it. It's still sin just because it hasn't been pointed out to us yet doesn't mean it's not sin. So there are a lot of ways, you know, and then the Israelites had to have those unknown sins atoned for every year. Uh, in the Old Testament, we see that. Um, so that's the reality is we can't, there's no way we could count the ways in which we sin against other people. Uh, we think, well, I didn't do that bad thing over there, so I'm a good person, and I'm totally discounting the harsh words I had towards somebody or the uncaring thing I said or um, all the millions of other ways that I can sin against people. And, and sometimes we do it and we don't think it's sin. 
we try to convince ourselves is it's not sin, but we know that it is. The Spirit of God will convict us of that. And we shouldn't ignore it. Right, well, yeah, well we, ha- we have to realize that um, it's, a, it's a heart issue. If I'm playing games and I, and I think if I sin against this person and I just ask for forgiveness, that'll be done, and then I can sin against them again, you already have a wrong attitude. You're... Right, and just because... It's, it's not okay. The sin is never okay. No. Uh, absolutely. No, that is a, that is a wrong attitude. It's, it's really the attitude of somebody who has not had their sins forgiven. Uh, they are thinking wrongly. Well, and if you, if it's interesting, you can read through Romans 7, you can see Paul struggling with these issues. You know, he's talking about his, his own life in that he doesn't understand. He he's, does the things he doesn't want to do, and he doesn't do the things that he wants to do, and he's describing this struggle with sin. Even though he's a believer, he still has this ongoing struggle with sin. So it's an interesting, uh, it's a helpful section of Scripture to read for us, too, dealing with these subjects, so... He he absolutely knows. Yeah. Yeah, and we can ask God for forgiveness, and he will forgive us, and that also doesn't mean we don't have to deal with consequences of our sin still. Right? Forgiveness, God's forgiveness doesn't take away earthly consequences for our sin. Hmm. Right. It, yeah. Right. Well, it's important for us. Okay, sorry. We'll go over here first. No, that's fine. It's important for us to remember, though, that this is not something 
that we human beings conjure up. Okay? This is, what we're talking about is the work of the Holy Spirit in believers. It is only God that can produce this in people. And that goes to what the point that she was making about kindness that was coming out of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. No. That's true. PJ, you had some. Right. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, as we grow in Christ-likeness as Christians, the Spirit of God continually reveals our sin to us. We, the more we study and know God, the more we know how holy He is, then the more we see how sinful we are. It's, it just sh keeps showing it over and over again, and it allows us as Christians to then praise God even more for the forgiveness of sins. Um, so that's a very important thing, a very important work that, that God does in, in the lives of Christians. And it's also, yeah, go ahead. If the question is, is it possible to go maybe days, weeks without sinning? You're not talking about sinless perfection, right? I would, I would venture, my thought on that is no, because we can't, you know, one of the things we're supposed to do is love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that means, that means always... Right. But what we're appealing to as Christians is, and that's fine, wake up in the morning, you acknowledge sin, you ask the Lord for forgiveness, you confess your sin, but what we're acknowledging as Christians is that you're a Christian, Christ has paid for that sin, and you're thanking God that that sin is paid for. Help me, Lord, not to sin anymore. Well, it happens because we don't we don't know the word of God enough to know that that we can trust what he says that Christ has forgiven us of our sin that God has removed it as far as the east is from the west. It is not he says in Romans 8 we are no longer there's no longer any condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There are scripture after scripture you can go to and it's meant to give assurance to Christians that their sin is forgiven.
Sure. I, I think you said something important there, not understanding. So you go back to the Word of God and ask the Lord to help you understand the forgiveness of sins. He will help you. you ask him to help you with that. It's not, you're not alone in that struggle. Other people struggle with that. Well, if you've, if you've confessed your sin and you've repented of that sin, you don't have to keep going back and, and asking for forgiveness for that sin. Right, and my answer is that the Word of God is what transforms our thinking. We have to read it and know it. I can't make it up on my own. I can't try to figure my way through things on my own. As a Christian, I must go to the Word of God and trust it. Sure, keep praying for that person, but you need to be in the Word of God. Okay. Well, sometimes... Right. Well, and if that's a struggle of yours, that being around certain people, uh, you end up sinning, it's probably time to not be around those people. Right? Right. So, I'm going to move on with my study, but if you want to talk after, I would like to talk to you more too. Okay? Because it sounds like you have other questions, I'd like to be able to talk to you about those. Um, It's important for us, when we talk about goodness, uh, to know that this goodness, in terms of benefiting others, doesn't always look like uh, providing for their felt needs. Maybe you've heard that, that word before, those words, felt needs, right? What, what is the problem, though, with dealing with people based on felt needs? What is the problem that we're faced with when, when we deal with that? Well, often there are quite a few people or church leaders and other places that will try to reach people based on their felt needs. And the problem with that is that people often don't know what they really need, right? So their perception of their problems or their condition is often skewed. Why? It's skewed because of sin. It's skewed because of wrong thinking. The, the unbelieving world is blind. They're, they're in darkness, especially when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we have to ask ourselves the question, do you, do you think the the devil has any part in people not seeing themselves clearly and accurately? Absolutely. We can see that. Hmm. Right. So I would encourage you then to read through 1 John. And, yeah, read through the 1 John. That, that deals with the questions that you're bringing up. And 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, in their case... The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So we see, especially in terms of the gospel, that the God of this world, little g, right? This is Satan. This is who's being talked about here. Uh, and Paul's ref- he's, that's who he's referring to. And he has blinded the minds of the unbelieving world to the truth about their condition before God. So, so if we're trying to reach people based on their felt needs, we are in an uphill battle. Okay, people will, will think 
their need is acceptance the way they are, when the Bible says their need is forgiveness and redemption because of the way they are, because of their sin. If I try to reach them based on their felt need, I will end up giving them an, an untrue gospel. I won't give them the true gospel. And this is where we need the, the goodness that the Spirit of God produces in us. It is a, a goodness that seeks to provide people with what they actually need, okay? uh, with, with what will benefit them. And, and this, this spiritually produced fruit says the hard things. Okay, it does the hard things for the benefit of the other person or people. And what I said before about the Spirit of God not even allowing us to think about uh, doing the sinful thing without convicting us, this is an example of the goodness of God toward us. Right? God does this for us, not to us. Okay? Again, he's, he's hemming us in, and it flows from the goodness of his own character. And there's a section of Scripture um, earlier in Paul's letter to the Galatians. If you're still there in Galatians, uh, you can turn back the, to chapter 2. But there's a section of Scripture there uh, where he's been describing the fact that the gospel is for both Jews and Gentiles, that the gospel is not based on works of the law. In, in particular, circumcision is in view in that context. Paul talked about how he was, he was the messenger of God to the Gentiles, and Peter was the messenger of God to the Jews, and they all recognized this, and they praised God for the, for the fact that the gospel was going to all people. But then Paul noticed a problem with Peter's behavior, and I want us to look at what Paul did about that. So we'll look at what the problem is and what he did. In Galatians chapter 2, um, whoops, I wasn't even in Galatians. I'll get there. There we go. Galatians chapter 2, I'm going to look at verses 11 through 14. Okay, but when Cephas, okay, this is another name for Peter, okay, uh, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Okay, this is Paul talking. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before all of them, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Okay, so what was Peter doing wrong here? He was, he was acting hypocritically. He ate with the Gentiles and accepted them um, until some specific Jews came around then he pulls back from them. He, he wanted nothing to do with them. He didn't want to be seen with them. Okay? And the passage tells us that he was afraid of the Jews. Okay? He was basically ashamed of the gospel. Well, what are the results of that behavior? According to that passage, what were the results of Peter's behavior? What was that? Barnabas went astray. Okay? It drew him astray. Somebody over here said something? Okay, yeah, condemnation in, in terms of he stood guilty of, of this offense. Sure. Other, other results that we see in that passage of Peter's behavior. What was that? Okay, yeah. 
Right. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Simple thinking. Sure. Another result of this is that the, the gospel itself has changed. It, it goes back to what Paul's already fighting against, a gospel of works, uh, salvation by works. And, and by Peter's behavior, he's turning it back into that. It was no longer the true gospel um, because it, again, tried to burden the Gentiles with works of the law in order to be saved. It was, it was a false gospel. And as was pointed out, he was influencing others, Barnabas in particular. He's, he's influencing Barnabas. Um, and this would have the effect of, in, in talking about the Gentiles, this would have the effect of causing a lack of assurance. You know, here they've been told that they're saved because of their faith in Christ, and now here's this other false message coming from someone who, I mean, Peter, who's Peter? He's like the leader of the apostles, and, and so this is going to cause people a lack of assurance. It's going to cause people to, to waver. And it even pulled, like you said, pulled Barnabas astray. And this is where I want you to see the goodness of Paul toward Peter after Paul noticed what was happening. And when the damage, and, and all the damage that was coming about because of what Peter was doing um, to the message of the gospel. Well, what did Paul do about it? First of all, he sees this problem. What did Paul do about it? He rebuked him. He, he rebuked Peter right in front of everyone, to his face. He said, I rebuked him to his face, and he rebuked him before all. And again, Peter was in many ways the leader of the apostles, and here he's being rebuked by Paul, who wasn't even one of the 12 apostles. Now, now Scripture shows us, tells us Paul is an apostle, um, but everyone knew who Peter was, and here's Paul rebuking him. Um, and he didn't even take him aside, do it. He didn't like take him in the back room and say, "Hey, you know, there's a problem. What's going on here?" He he opposes him to his face in front of everyone. Absolutely, absolutely, and and that's a very important point about what Paul was doing here. Peter was wrong. Okay? He was sinning badly. And Paul could have ignored it, okay? not wanting to embarrass this great Christian leader, but he didn't ignore it. Why? Because of the goodness produced in him by the Holy Spirit. Okay? That, that moral excellence, that desire to benefit Peter and those who had been wrongly influenced um, as a result of what he was doing. Um, and so this is not meanness from Paul or, or Paul being a busybody. Peter needed this correction. And because of the public nature of this sin and the obvious damage to the faith of others, Paul did it in public. It goes to what you were saying. The other people needed to see this. They needed to hear this. Um, it was very important for that to take place because of the damage that had happened. And imagine if you're one of those people who's Faith has been shaken by this. And here comes Paul with this rebuke and how reassuring that would be to have this, this man of God who, who also people knew to be able to say that and straighten this out and, and say the first thing you believed, to bring you back to the truth of the gospel and your salvation in, by faith in Christ alone. Um, how reassuring would that be? And so, so this is the, the action of someone 
who, he's not a, Paul's not an enemy of Peter by doing this. This is, again, the goodness of the fruit of the Spirit manifesting in the kindness of Paul in going after Peter for repentance and restoration. He's, he's pursuing his brother in Christ. Um, and so we don't have anything in the text here that says that Peter repented, but I believe that we can assume he repented because of his continued work in the gospel and, and the clarity moving forward with which he shares the gospel. I mean, in, in, in 1 Peter 1.13, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this is no longer any hint of confusion or wavering on his part. Um, on the on the grace of God and salvation, he says to set your hope fully on the grace of God. And I think we can see here that the goodness of Paul, produced by the Holy Spirit, had some part to play in bringing about this change in Peter's actions and, and his thinking. He did have sinful thinking. It was wrong thinking. Um, and this is the role that you and I play in the lives of other Christians. We, we should be playing this role in their lives. It's also the role that you and I can play in the lives of unbelievers. Okay? What is the most important way in which we exhibit the goodness of God produced in us through the Holy Spirit when it comes to those around us who do not yet believe? What is the most important way we exhibit that goodness? No? I mean, our behavior is important. What is the most important way in which we exhibit the goodness of God produced in us when it comes to those around us who do not yet believe? It's, it's no? Sharing the gospel, right? That is the most important way that this goodness of God comes out is in sharing the gospel, the true gospel to those who are lost. The goodness of God is manifest when we point out the sinfulness of people and how it separates them from fellowship with the holy God and keeps them condemned to an eternity in the fires of hell without repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, salvation, eternal life with God. You can't make them listen, no. Our, our job as Christians is to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is the one who saves. God is the one who convicts hearts. We can't do that. There was an article I read a long time ago about one half of the magician duo known as Penn and Teller. Have you guys heard of them? Penn and Teller. They've been around for a long time. Penn Gillette is this man's name. He's, he's one of these two guys that are a magician team. And he's an atheist. atheist. He's an open atheist. He says he does not believe in God at all. And in this article... This atheist is quoted talking about Christians who don't share the gospel. Um, he, he used the word proselytize, which basically means to try to convert a person from one religious belief to another. Um, but, but we would understand this as Christians. We would understand this in the terms of um, the problem with Christians who don't tell people the good news of Jesus Christ, the, the good news of the gospel. And that's really what he's getting at. But here, it's a really convicting statement from a person who doesn't believe in God. Um, and here's what this atheist unbeliever says 
He says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and, and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you, and this is more important than that. Ouch. An, an unbeliever, an atheist, doesn't even believe in God, says, why wouldn't Christians tell everyone about this? It's a, it's, it's a very convicting statement. To not share the gospel is, is at least unkind. And he recognized it actually as hatred towards another person. Yeah, we're, we're guilty of this at certain times or in our lives. You can probably think of the people you've interacted with who you thought, I need to share the gospel with them, and then you don't, and you never see them again. Um, I think there's probably um, certain situations where, based on the setting or something, it might be inappropriate, but, um, I don't know, I can't think of an example right now. I mean, you wouldn't want to like stand up in the middle of some something and interrupt everybody, you know. Right. Well, there's ways that we can share the gospel with people without Well, well, okay. well, we don't need to get into all that right now. We can talk about that after if you want to talk about that after. But I think the point is there are, there are unkind ways that we can share the gospel with people. We shouldn't do that. But we shouldn't think that it's unkind to point out sin in people's lives. It is not the gospel if, if you're not telling people about sin. It's... Well, but 
again, we go back to that the Satan has blinded the, the minds of, of the unbelieving world. So, but the point is, we, we cannot save people. I cannot convince someone to believe in God. I can, I can share the truth of Scripture, and Scripture tells us that the gospel is the power of God to salvation for those who believe. Not me, not the specific words I use, it's the gospel. Yes, Jeannie. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good point. Um, if, if they're asking you a specific question about it, fine, you can answer it. But we don't even need to point out everyone's specific sin. The problem is that we are sinners by nature. And, and that's our problem. Not, not the specific sin, because you would have to point out every single sin in their life. You can't just focus on one. Now, maybe it's true that they're sinning in this area, but, but you, you don't spend your time pointing out every single individual sin. The problem is our sin nature. And, and that's what Christ has come to redeem. No. Well, you don't want to come across as saying that you don't sin, but you cannot share the true gospel without saying to someone uh, that they are a sinner. And one of the best ways, like Jeannie was talking about, is asking them questions. And again, you, we should be doing this based on Scripture and not, uh, not laying out a list of things that I think they're doing wrong. Well, they do need to know about their sin. That's not up to you, though. You let it go. You don't, you don't keep pounding on it. You let them know. You, you share the gospel. And if they say, I don't believe that, you move on. God is the one who saves. You cannot save. You cannot be convincing enough. Yeah. Well, we can't avoid sinful people. Right. Right. Yeah. And you're going to have people in your life. Uh, if you're uh, avoiding people because they're sinners, and, and therefore in your avoidance you're not sharing the gospel with them, I think that would be a problem. What we don't want to do is partner with people in their sin. Okay, you're going to have unbelievers around you all the time, at work, school, whatever. No, no, you're not going to participate in those evil works of darkness. You're going to share the gospel with them. And it doesn't mean you can't be their friend. I've got tons of unbelieving friends. And we can have conversations about the gospel. They don't believe, 
but it doesn't mean that I ignore them or be because then what you're doing, you're being unkind. You're, you know, you're rejecting them when what they need is someone who will be in their life who is a believer, who has shared the gospel with them. Maybe they don't believe it right then, but they'll see your life and how God is producing the spirit of the fruit of the spirit in you, and maybe eventually they'll start asking more questions, and you can continue that conversation. So you don't want to remove yourself from them. Sure, but you have to be careful about participating in their sin or allowing them to influence you to sin. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah, and they may eventually even ask you the questions, and then you make a decision if you want to you know, uh, respond to that or not, because you know as a Christian in a workplace, you may be taking your job into your hands if you share the gospel with somebody. But if they're asking the question, it's worth sharing the gospel with them you know, and trusting God with the outcome, not only of their salvation, but with the outcome of your job. Yeah. Yeah, I had a couple other passages I was going to go to. We're kind of out of time, but um, just to say that we see other examples in Scripture of the goodness of God coming out. Even if you look at Jesus making a whip and driving people out of the out of the temple, um, you know, we see that and realize that is actually a, an example of the goodness of Christ. We would look at that maybe initially and think, "Wow, you know, he actually." Scripture tells us he actually made a whip out of cords to do this. So it took some time for him to make this whip. Um, but he drives them out. But um, this resulted in, in a future event where his disciples were encouraged in their faith after he rose from the dead. Um, John 2.22 says, When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. What they saw Jesus doing back then in, in doing this goodness, it, it's flowing from his goodness. Later on, they look back on that and they're encouraged by it and they believed even more. They believed the scriptures and the words of Jesus. Um, so we see the results of that goodness. Maybe it doesn't even always happen right away, but somewhere down the road, we might see that come out. Um, so I have to close this. Otherwise, the kids are going to kick the door in pretty soon, I think. Um, but we need to think as Christians that um, we, we as Christians have benefited from the goodness of God in the forgiveness of sins and through the Lord Jesus Christ. We as Christians are privileged to be instruments of God as he creates and produces in us the fruit of the Spirit, um, part of that being goodness. 
And so we should think about this in our daily lives. All of these that we've been going through, think about it. When, when, when God prompts you and your thinking is, I'm about to respond to somebody or a circumstance in a way that I probably shouldn't, that is the Holy Spirit of God telling you, he's convicting you, no, I'm producing something different in you. Are we going to walk in the Spirit or are we going to walk in the flesh? Okay, we want to walk in the Spirit. We need to pray for ourselves in this. We need to pray for other Christians in this. What Paul did, 2 Thessalonians 1.11, he says, To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. And so we, you and I as Christians, trust God. We, are, we should be so thankful to God that he's producing this fruit in us. Um, we should be constantly in his word trying to understand what he's doing, understand what's going on around us, who we are, who other people are, what sin is, how we respond to it. What does it mean for me as a Christian to respond in godly ways? Because I want my response to be what pleases God. What is Christ-like? And, and thanks to God, he is producing this in us, and we don't conjure it up ourselves because we can't do it. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you, first of all, Lord, for your own goodness. You are a, a good and kind and loving, merciful and gracious God. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to have understanding, deeper understanding all the time of the fruit of the Spirit. Help us this week to, as Christians, Lord, to be having opportunities to exhibit your goodness in our lives, that others would see it. Lord, that they would be pointed to Christ. Help us, Lord, not to stop there at just exhibiting goodness, Lord. Help us to open our mouths in proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to be kind when we do it. Give us wisdom, Lord. I pray that your word would be on our lips and not our own thoughts and desires. Lord, help us not to try to manipulate people, but to trust in the power of the gospel for salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, everyone. Have a good night.